in terms of this particular paper, we do know that shoulder pain and cuff tears account for over 11 million ambulatory visits in the U.S. annually. So it really is a large public health issue. However, the ideology or the cause of rotator cuff tears is still poorly understood. We do know the cause of traumatic tears that result from falls or motor vehicle accidents, but in terms of degenerative tear, which form the bulk of cuff tears, their ideology is poorly understood. Welcome to the HAP MNR Journal Club, a podcast where we introduce you to thought leaders who are published in the American Journal of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. This is a show about practices, research, and education that are shaping the field of physiatry in inspiring ways. The Journal Club is brought to you by the Association of Academic Physiatrists, or AAP, an intimate and influential professional society that brings together leading minds at every career level. Physiatrists and professors, directors and med students, researchers and residents, this is your behind-the-scenes look at people and ideas that will influence your future. Your host is Dr. Eric Wasatsky, an AAP member with Georgetown University School of Medicine. Welcome, everyone. This is Eric Wasatsky coming to you from the MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital in Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining another episode of the AAP Journal Club podcast. I'm honored today to be joined by uh, one of our outstanding PGY3 residents here in our uh, PM&R residency program, Dr. Kevin Cipriano, who's interested in sports medicine. Dr. Cipriano, thanks for joining me as my co-host today. Yeah, of course. Glad to be here. Great. I think we're going to have a great conversation today. Uh, I'm excited to introduce our speaker today, uh, our author, uh, Dr. Nathan Jane. Uh, Dr. Jane is a professor of physical medicine and rehab, orthopedic surgery, and population and data sciences at UT Southwestern Medical Center. He's also the vice chair of the Department of PM&R and chief of the section of musculoskeletal medicine and research. Dr. Jane has a pretty interesting training background. I always like to highlight uh, physiatrists who kind of go off the beaten path, uh, do something unique. Uh, Dr. Jane did his residency in PM&R at Spalding Rehab Hospital in Harvard and did a very unique fellowship uh, with the Harvard Shoulder Service, working with uh, shoulder surgeons there, which is a pretty uh, unique background. Also has a master's in public health. So a lot of uh, really interesting things in Dr. Jane's background. Uh, We're very excited to chat with him today uh, as uh, one of the authors of a recent publication in the American Journal of Physical Medicine Rehab titled Factors Associated with Symptomatic Rotator Cuff Tears, the ROW Cohort Study. Dr. Jane, we really appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you, Dr. Wazowski and Dr. Cipriano for having me. It is a pleasure, and thank you to the journal as well for having me on this podcast. Absolutely. I think this is a really important paper, so I really want to encourage people to uh, take a look at this in detail today beyond what we're discussing, uh, which is just kind of scratching the surface today. Um, So just to start with that, Dr. Jane, if you don't mind just spending a couple minutes just kind of giving our listeners uh, kind of a brief overview of your findings in this article. Sure, I'd be happy to. And first of all, I'd like to acknowledge my team. I get to be on this podcast, but this was really a team effort with multiple institutions that were involved, as well as uh, a lot of research staff that was involved. In terms of this particular paper, we do know that shoulder pain and cuff tears account for over 11 million ambulatory visits in the U.S. annually. So it really is a large public health issue. 
However, the ideology or the cause of rotator cuff tears is still poorly understood. We do know the cause of traumatic tears that result from falls uh, or motor vehicle accidents, but in terms of degenerative tear, which form the bulk of cuff tears, their ideology is poorly understood. So my team gathered a cohort of patients with shoulder pain. We did this since 2011, and there were multiple institutions that were involved and that have contributed towards this cohort. This cohort is what's called ROW, or the ROW cohort, which stands for Rotator Cuff Outcomes Workgroup. Uh, and we have very detailed information on the patient's that were participating in the study or in this cohort, including their shoulder MRIs that were used to diagnose rotator cuff tears. And in this cohort of patients, when we looked at those patients that had shoulder pain and had a diagnosis of a rotator cuff tear and compared them to those that had shoulder pain but were diagnosed with something else other than a rotator cuff tear, we found three variables that were associated with the likelihood or increased likelihood of rotator cuff tears, and these were increasing age, involvement of the dominant shoulder, and a higher body mass index. Fantastic. Uh, we really want to delve into that uh, a bit more. I'll, I'll pass the microphone to Dr. Cipriano for our next uh, set of questions. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Jane. Um, that was a great summary, and I thought the article was uh, very interesting, and we just had a few questions here like Dr. Wazowski alluded to. Uh, first one I had was if you felt that these rotator cuff tears were causing any limitations in function for the patients, um, and if so, did you feel that they had functional limitations related to pain, uh, to strength or weakness, range of motion, or something else? If you could just elaborate on that for us. Sure. Um, most patients with rotator cuff tears will present with shoulder pain and or limitation or functional limitation. So this functional limitation usually will include uh, uh, common uh, disability and common daily activities of daily living, such as inability to raise one's arm up or dress themselves uh, uh, or uh, bathe themselves. Functional limitation is usually related to pain, loss of strength, or limitation in active range of motion as a result of the rotator cuff tear. Okay, yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense on my end. Um, I know in the study as well, there wasn't exactly um, the quantification of the extent of the tear and the location. Uh, do you think that, you know, that would provide some good information for risk stratification in any future research? Is that something you guys are considering looking into as well? So that is a great question, Dr. Cipriano. Uh, you bring up a great point about the extent or the size of the tear as well as the location. And traditionally, these were factors, both the size as well as the location, that were thought to be extremely important in both the diagnosis and treatment of cuff tears, especially in the surgical literature. But if we look at the more recent evidence, it really suggests that both the size and the location are not associated with either patient outcomes, including functional loss. So, you know, there's an open question about the value of both the size and the location of, of a rotator cuff tear. One thing uh, that's alluded to in the article, you get a little bit into um, patients' work status. Uh, one thing we were wondering about was whether or not you looked at any activity levels outside of work, whether it be uh, recreational activities, exercise, et cetera, 
And, you know, if so, your feeling about whether or not those activities would maybe have a negative or positive impact on the outcomes you might see. Sure. I guess hindsight is twenty twenty, and I wish I had done that. We asked the patients about their work, and uh, that itself was fairly complex because, as you can imagine, uh, patients change jobs over the course of their lifetime. And, and uh, a, a large portion of our cohort that's above 65 is retired. So it does get complicated to assess the activity level in relation to their job. Now, outside of their job, it gets even more complicated to assess sports or weightlifting, especially over a lifetime. Uh, a rotator cuff tear, the way this study was done, which is really looking at degenerative tears as opposed to traumatic, these happen over time. And hence, the entire lifespan of the patient needs to be considered. So the short answer is we did not have data on uh, activity outside of work, such as sports or weightlifting, and how that impacts uh, degenerative cuff tears. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it kind of puts you on the spot here. It's purely speculation. I guess in your mind, if you feel like that was something you were looking at, what would you predict your findings would be in terms of that relationship between maybe those who are exercising more uh, versus more sedentary patients? So again, you know, this is uh, pure speculation because we don't really have the data to support it. Now, we can make some inferences from the fact that involvement of the dominant arm was related to cuff tears, and we do see often that in patients with cuff tears, it's really the dominant arm that's involved. And the reason for the involvement of the dominant arm is because uh, patients are using that arm a lot more than their non-dominant arm. So if one were to just extrapolate that finding and apply that to uh, sports or weightlifting where patients are more likely to use their dominant arm, um, you could imagine that there would be an impact or a higher likelihood of cuff tears in patients who engage in these activities more. I think this should not be taken to suggest that patients should not be active or should not engage in sports or exercise. What we are talking about here really is repetitive motion and and daily vigorous sports activity. So, you know, I think more data on this issue will provide a more definitive answer but we can make some extra extrapolations based on our finding of the involvement of the dominant arm. No, that's great. I appreciate you going through the nuances there because it's definitely a a tricky area uh, of balancing the right type of activity. Okay, back to you, Dr. Cipriano. Yeah, and thanks for all that, Dr. Jane. Uh, One thing that I always try to look at when I'm reading papers is how it might affect my clinical practice. And kind of gauging what I can do to better improve patient outcomes going forward. Um, So what I was thinking reading the paper, you know, if a patient comes and presents to a physiatrist or any doctor with any of these risk factors that you mentioned are related, like age, involvement of the dominant arm, or, you know, significantly high BMI, would this be more likely to jump into imaging studies for yourself if you're seeing a patient uh, that has one or more of these risk factors, um, and would you go towards more aggressive management initially? Yeah, so that's, again, a great question and, very frankly, a judgment call where our data does show that in patients with these three factors, you have a higher suspicion of a rotator cuff tear. 
And as such, ordering advanced imaging would be reasonable. Now, that also depends on how advanced imaging, such as an MRI, would eventually change the course of the patient's treatment. So if the patient's preference and the physician's recommendation would be to try non-operative treatment, regardless of whether or not the patient had a cuff tear on the imaging, then that does affect the decision to order advanced imaging such as an MRI. However, if there is a dilemma of whether the patient would want to have surgery versus rehab, I think advanced imaging would be appropriate in that setting. Okay, that that makes sense. Definitely, like you said, having the conversation uh, with each patient and weighing the risks and benefits and seeing how it might change your management would definitely um, kind of move you towards one way or the other in terms of the imaging studies or what management you're looking to do for them. So one of the last questions I had here um, was that with these three risk factors that are related to the rotator cuff tears, um, really the BMI was the one that was a modifiable risk factor. Obviously, can't change your age or your dominant arm very much. Um, so from that standpoint, do you think that incorporating more um, education about nutrition or exercise kind of to prevent rotator cuff tears and or to treat them would be an effective management? This is an excellent question, and this is the finding that excited us the most, and we found it quite perplexing. Uh, uh, the shoulder, as you know, is not a weight-bearing joint, so it wasn't directly apparent why body mass index uh, or obesity should be associated with a cuff tear. When we look at the literature, we do find a couple of studies uh, that also have shown a similar association. I think the first step here is to really try to understand what the underlying mechanism could be. And uh, we, we can only hypothesize at this moment, and some of these hypotheses include uh, metabolic alterations due to obesity or vascular insufficiency of the tendon because of a higher BMI. And the whole idea of vascular insufficiency, we do know that as opposed to the muscle, the tendon is relatively avascular, and that's what leads to recurrent symptomatology. So once a tendon tears, its capacity to heal is minimal as compared to a muscle. And that's really why tendon tears are an issue. And this does open up a whole new area of research and understanding into uh, both the ideology of cuff tears as well as potential treatments for cuff tears. So if really it's the vascular insufficiency that leads to rotator cuff tears, uh, which potentially is related to BMI, we need to take a step back and, and think about the surgical management which essentially anchors the tendon onto the bone. And is that really the right treatment versus looking at options into maybe improving the vascularity of the tendon? So as I said, this was the finding that opens a lot of new doors. Now it's still in its infancy and we still don't understand the full picture of is it really vascular insufficiency that's an important factor here, and is that why BMI was associated with cuff tears, given that the shoulder is a non-weight-bearing joint? But it opens a whole set of possibilities into future directions and, and, and potential future treatments and, and rethinking about uh, repairing the tendon or anchoring the tendon back onto the bone. Just a, one quick follow-up I had with that as well. Uh, was there any plans to look into further research about any other, I know you said vascular disease seems to be 
one of the main uh, underlying theories of why this is uh, correlated with BMI. Um, is there any plan to look into other, any other disease and risk factors that could be associated like having peripheral vascular disease? I know um, things like hypertension, diabetes, and smoking status uh, didn't show a significant association, but I'm not sure if there was any plan to look at any other potential risk factors. Uh, sure. Um, you know, uh, uh, one of the basic rules in research is we do have to replicate these findings. So, you know, although we had a fairly large cohort, we do need these findings to be replicated in large studies. So what we have done is both uh, taken a step back and done meta-analyses of these risk factors, uh, what previous studies have shown, as well as we are trying to assess these findings in a much larger cohort using our electronic medical records where we have thousands of patients. So that work is underway and will shed more light into if we can actually replicate findings of BMI. And as it relates to vascular insufficiency, uh, all of these factors are in some ways interrelated. So hypertension, uh, diabetes, all of these can lead to vascular insufficiency. And so does peripheral vascular disease for sure. Um, uh, so all of this work, we're further expanding on this work and trying to replicate these findings to both understanding how BMI leads to higher risk for cuff tears, and really is it hypovascularity, which opens other doors for you know, doing clinical trials on treatments, um, is that really what the underlying issue is in tendon tears? I definitely think this was a very interesting aspect of the study, like you had mentioned. And, uh, yeah, thanks for the explanations. Yeah, this is such interesting stuff and certainly fodder for uh, plenty of more study. I'm sure you agree. To go off script a little bit, I, I, I typically like to conclude our podcast with uh, something at least related to current events, wellness, something along those lines. And uh, here we are. We're recording this podcast on January 5th, 2021. So Happy New Year, everybody. We are certainly in the thick of, uh, I guess, what most people would call wave two of our COVID pandemic that we've all been struggling with. Um, so I guess, you know, relating this to, you know, your study, looking at shoulder pain, rotator cuff tears, et cetera, uh, Dr. Jane, I'm curious, you know, during this time of our pandemic, you know, how do you feel like our models of care, our ability to uh, treat our patients with, you know, maybe you'd say non-emergent issues such as shoulder pain, et cetera, uh, how has that been influenced by uh, this pandemic? How do you feel like you've been able to care for your patients, you know, despite what we've all been uh, dealing with during this pandemic? Sure. I mean, that is an excellent and a very relevant question in these times. And and we really can't ignore the reality of COVID-19 here. Uh, for sure, COVID-19 has impacted over the last nine months our ability to care for our patients and actually do research uh, where we had to halt a lot of clinical trials because elective surgery wasn't being performed for, for a few months. In terms of clinical care, there, there were times when we could only see patients who qualified as having an emergent need to be seen. Slowly, things, though, have uh, what we call close to normalized, where patients are able to come in for elective visits uh, with adequate precautions of social distancing as well as wearing masks. And now that the COVID-19 vaccine is out, there are high hopes or there are hopes that this pandemic will be behind us. So no question that the pandemic has influenced our ability 
to take care of our patients, but at the same time, it's also provided opportunities to come up with innovative ways both to do clinical care as well as to do research, such as telehealth. Uh, you know, we do have the availability of telehealth now, which we did not before the pandemic, or it wasn't that widely used. Similarly, virtual meetings, which we are all uh, used to now in the context of research on shoulder pain, which was not something that was done that frequently in the past. So uh, it's been, for sure, a challenging time for all of us, but necessity is the mother of inventions. And, and you know, there's many uh, inventions that have come out of it, which will, I believe will live with us for a much longer time. Absolutely. Very, very well said. Uh, we've definitely had some very important innovations uh, during this time that will live on. And uh, it will be interesting to see if we have a, a rush of patients who maybe uh, have been holding off on seeing us uh, until the pandemic subsides. But uh, it certainly sounds like you've been able to continue to, to provide that care for your patients, which is wonderful. So before we wrap up, Dr. Jane, was there anything, uh, any last words, anything else you wanted to add uh, regarding the study that we uh, discussed today? No, I appreciate the opportunity to share this study uh, with you and your podcast viewers and thank the journal for this opportunity. Again, I do want to recognize my entire team that worked tirelessly and contributed towards this study. Absolutely, absolutely. So we certainly strongly recommend uh, that our listeners open up their print or electronic uh, American Journal of Physical Medicine Rehab to take a look at this study uh, for yourself to see all the details. And I want to thank uh, my co-host, Dr. Cipriano, for joining me today, and certainly uh, Dr. Nathan Jane from UT Southwestern uh, for providing your expertise and enlightening us regarding this important study. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Jane. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us. And uh, thanks, Dr. Wazowski, for having me as the co-host today. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>